Good morning, everyone. It's about time to begin our worship service. Have a couple things is all. Keep the uh, kids and the parents that are away at camp this week in your prayers. That nobody gets a cut or a gouge or an injury. Sometimes those things happen. It's been a couple of years since I was at camp. I remember when Jason went, I think it was, was it Jason? Did you bust your thumb? Dropped the door window, window on his thumb? But anyway, keep those in your prayers. Last couple, three weeks, a bit, uh, something's happened here at Rome that, that just kind of made me think. And, and sometimes we don't say a whole lot, and sometimes we say maybe too much. But I thought it would be good to mention some people in our congregation that have been married 50 plus years. Uh, how many do you think couples that we have in the congregation that both spouses are still living or they've passed 50 years and then lost a spouse? Wait till I name them all off. Joe and Sandy, we're going to let them slide in, but they've just been married 48 years. Which is, I looked at Sandy and Sandy and I, we've traveled to church since I was this big. We used to stop and pick her and her sisters up, and she said, we got a late start. <laughs> but anyway, John and Brenda Klein, 50 years. And what got me to thinking about this is a couple people I've known a long time. They had their 50th a couple, three weeks ago. And then another couple that we haven't known as long but are, are, are still been married 50 years is Gary and Pam and Rick and Karen Keister have been married 50 years. Kermit and Hilda were married 52 years when he passed. And I always thought that was a long time. Mary and I will be married 50 years August 1st. 52, sorry, 52 years August 1st. I used to be, I, t I told Jackie, I used to be taller than Jeff Hutchison when we got married. Not really. JB said he was 6'2 when they got married, but not really. We're just kidding. But Mary and I will be married 52 years August 1st. Tom and Sue Powell were married 50. Ted and Friday, 57 years. Charlie and Alice Bozo, 56 years. Junior and Connie Sullivan, 57 years. Clinton and Carol, 59 years. Roger and Peg, 54. Larry and Benetta, thought I was going to forget you, didn't you? 56, correct? Did I say John and Brenda? Klein, 50. That's the 50-year people. Jim and Grace Ann Gilfillan, 66. Jim and Margaret Wilgus, 66.
That's a neat thing. That's a good thing. To see people work in, in, in the type of uh, atmosphere that, that, that we live in now, to work through difficulties, it hasn't been easy. Mary used to give me an allowance so we would have enough money to buy groceries. That's not easy when I'd go to work. I can only speak for ourselves, but, well, maybe Gary and Pam because I grew up with them. But uh, th those, are, those are good things. I'd like to read Ephesians 6, Ephesians 5. 32 and 33 before we begin. I think I've mentioned everybody. Yes. Ben and Elaine. Okay, 50. Sorry. I looked right at her this morning and said I got to go see her and I didn't. Larry and Sherry Ward, 50. Ben and Elaine, how many? I knew I'd miss somebody. I've grown up with those two people. Known them as long as I've known anybody. But anyway, just just a thought. Ephesians five verses thirty two and thirty three. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nope, that's wrong. Where am I at? Well, I'm getting all messed up now. That's a fact. <laughs> what was it, Mary? I, I, I wrote it down wrong. Ephesians. Ephesians 5. Okay, I'm right. Sorry. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we are thankful for this beautiful day of life that you've given us to come to worship service this morning, to hear another lesson from your word, to sing songs of praise to you, to remember our, your son, our Savior, Jesus, as he died on the cross and rose again as we surround that table. We ask your blessings on our families and our children that are at camp this week. Keep them safe. Pray that they enjoy their visit, and they can learn more about your word. We're thankful for all those that have been married so many years that the examples that's been set
we pray that you bless each and every one that, that, that's still here and, and continue to bless us all, especially as we go through this worship service this morning. We pray that the things we do will be pleasing unto you in accordance with your will. We ask your blessings on our sick and our shut-ins. Be with us, forgive us, in thy son's name we pray, and amen. Would you stand for the first song, please? First hymn this morning, number 157, For the Beauty of the Earth, 157. Next hymn this morning, number 642, The Lord's My Shepherd, 642. After this hymn, Brother Alan Payne will have our scripture reading and prayer. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want he My small 
Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Our wonderful and divine and all-gracious Father in heaven, we come before you this morning in humble prayer, Father, thanking you so very much for the blessings in life that we all have and share. Father, we thank you so much for all of our brothers and sisters gathered here this morning. We thank you that for giving us to each other, Father. We, we know that through you that we all can grow in love toward you and toward one another. Father, we're especially grateful for the, the freedoms we have in this country. We know with a special holiday coming up tomorrow, Father, that thoughts are around the country are going on, on freedom and the freedoms that we have. But we all know the true freedom, Father, came from your Son who freed us all from the burden of sin. And Father, we are so grateful for that. Father, again, we thank you for all you bless us with. We thank you for every single member here in this church, Father. We pray that you'd watch over us all and help us always to live right, always to be truthful in all that we say and do, and always just be a shining light to all that we come in contact with. Father, we ask a special blessing this time on those in our country who serve in the military and the armed forces and the and in the, the police and all those, the first responders, just all the people who help take care of us, Father, we're so grateful for them. I ask a special blessing on them as well. Again, Father, we thank you so much for all you've blessed us with. We pray that you'll be with us as we continue to, to worship you this morning. Help us to do so in a manner that's pleasing in your sight. In Christ's name we pray, and amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Luke, chapter 7. Verse 37 through 50. Luke 7, 37 through 50. <clears throat> A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. 
You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. And you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been given little, loves little. And Simon said to her, your sin, excuse me, and then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Next hymn this morning, number 217, He Loves Me. 217, sing this song before we partake of the Lord's Supper. Why did the Savior heavenly encounters earthly go? Tomorrow will be July the 4th. Tomorrow, many Americans 
will be involved in celebrating the Declaration of Independence, celebrating the freedom of 13 United Colonies from Great Britain. It is a gift for all living Americans, that freedom. Those of us here today, after nearly 250 years, we're still enjoying that freedom. I'd like to read a little part here. It says, uh, it's a gift for all living Americans. July the 4th is a gift. We didn't earn it. We received it from the people who lived, led, and died to fight for it. That sounds familiar to another story that, that we all know about. And it says, everyone who gets a gift has two questions. First, it said, who is it from? The second says, what does it do? Who is it from? We've already read it was from people that who lived there. They, they led and they died for a cause. And what it did, it gave them freedom. It set them apart from other countries. And it gave them freedom. But to me, it's, it's, it's a temporary freedom. Who knows when that freedom will be taken away? I think parts of it has kind of been taken away little by little. There's no guarantee how long it's going to last. And, and I kind of phrase it like a, a living freedom. While we're alive, while we're here on this earth, we can enjoy that freedom. But after, after we're dead, after we're gone, that freedom means nothing to us. So let's talk about a different kind of freedom. It was a gift. And it was given by one man. Then we can ask the same questions. Who was it from? And what does it do? This freedom is from Christ. It is a gift. He died on the cross for everyone. Jesus set you and me free as individuals on the cross. That's what it did. It gave us freedom. As believers... We can enjoy numerous freedoms because of what Jesus has done for us. We have freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, freedom from God's wrath, freedom from fear of death, bondage of sin, freedom from Satan's dominion, freedom to call God our Father, freedom from hell, freedom from the old law, freedom through Jesus Christ's grace. As we surround this table this morning, let's remember the freedom that we have, that Jesus made it possible for each and every one of us. Freedom received because Jesus paid the price.
He paid the price that we could not pay. That's the kind of freedom that we have. And it's because that Jesus loved us and he was willing to come and die on the cross for our sins. So as we think about freedom today, tomorrow, every day, let's think about the greatest freedom and the greatest sacrifice that was made. Jesus died alone. Jesus didn't have to fight people. Jesus didn't fight. He didn't kill people for our freedom. He died for our freedom. Others had to fight and kill for our freedom. Jesus gave us freedom because he loved us and died himself. Bow with me as we go to God in prayer. Father, we do thank you so much for the love that, uh, that you showed to us and for the love, Father, that's shown by your son. And we know, Lord, that uh, Jesus laid his life down for us, that uh, no one took it from him, that, that he gave it. And we're so thankful for that. And Father, as we take this uh, bread that represents his body, we pray that uh, you'll bless it, Father, and bless us as we take of it and, and, uh, and just do it in a way that you would have us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. out with me again. We continue our prayer, Father, our prayer for thankfulness that you have died for us. Thankful that you was willing to lay down your life. Father, we pray that you'll bless this fruit of the vine that represents that precious blood that was shed for us so that we could have that freedom, Father, from, your, from sin. The only way that we can have it is through you. We pray that you will bless this fruit of the vine that represents the blood that was shed on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That concludes the Lord's Supper, but uh, this time uh, we'll be uh, praying for our contribution. We have the boxes in the back, and uh, we are just thankful for all that we have, and God does bless us, and we are thankful for the freedom that we have and our freedom to give, and, and uh, we certainly need to remember that God loves a cheerful giver, so... If you're visiting with us, we don't ask you to give. It's a responsibility of this congregation. We're thankful that you're with us here this morning. Pray with me. <clears throat> Father, we do thank you for all that we have, all that you bless us with. Father, we're thankful for our freedom. 
Father, we pray that uh, we will continue to uh, have that freedom to be able to come and worship you together, Father, and, and to be able to, to talk about you. And, and Father, that we're just uh, thankful for all that, uh, that you do for us. And Father, we know this country at, at this time, the, the morals and things that, that goes on, it's hard for us to understand, but, but we pray for our country, God. We, we pray for things that, uh, <clears throat> pray that they'll change, that, uh, that people will get back to the Bible, and, and uh, Father, we can be a country that, uh, that you can be proud of again, and we can be proud of our country, and, and that we'll worship you together. We pray that you'll bless this offering, and we pray that, uh, Father, that the money is, is used in a way to, uh, to glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all please stand. We'll sing hymn number 682, To God Be the Glory. <clears throat> Is so at this time that the young children may go to the children's Bible hour? I hope. 682, to God be the glory. To God be the glory, great things he has done, so Invitation to him this morning, number 634, the great physician, 634, Brother Chris. Good morning. We're glad to see you here with us this morning. If you're noticing some of our members are gone, it's because they're at camp. Uh, this is our week of camp at Fort Hill, and we're looking forward to a great week. We pray for uh, good weather and, and open hearts as we learn 
about apologetics. This week we're studying Christian evidences, and so that'll be a good week uh, filled with uh, hopefully lots of, lots of information, but also changed hearts. You ever been in a, uh, in a mood where you just wanted to argue with somebody? Everybody kind of been kind of mad, and you just want to argue with something. My kids are like that sometimes. You can just kind of, they wake up sometimes in the morning, and you think, today's going to be one of those days, isn't it? Okay. We get like that sometimes too, don't you? But you don't have to look very far in our current culture to find somebody to argue with, do you? Uh, to wear the mask or not. To get the vaccine or not. What's your stance on abortion? What's your stance on climate control? What's your stance on gun control? What's your... These are open-ended questions that will get you into an argument pretty quick. You don't have to look very far to find somebody to argue with. And so what are we going to do? We are in the middle of a series we're calling Lost and Found. Some things that we lost during COVID and some things that we found uh, during COVID. And so one of the things I think we've lost and that we're, we found is kindness. I think we need to show more of it, Right. So I think that's our response. In the midst of a culture who just wants to argue, what should the church's response be? What should your, what should my response be? I think one of the responses we should have, maybe mo the most vocal response we should have, is that of kindness. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. <coughs> You're familiar with this passage because 1 Corinthians 13 at least the, uh, the first section there talks about uh, the Holy Spirit's definition of love. It's not a complete definition. It's the definition that the Corinthians needed to hear. It's the definition that some of us need to hear. And so this, this definition doesn't encompass everything that God says uh, would define love, but it is some of that definition. And so when we come to it, we read these words, starting in verse 4. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. The Holy Spirit says, Love is patient and kind. There, there's our word. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, it endures all all things, and that's a really deep, beautiful, powerful, challenging definition for love, isn't it? And we've talked about what each one of those components means in the past, and so we won't take the time to go back through and do that today. But I did want to focus on that second characteristic of love. Paul Paul says that love is kind. Love is kind. So when he's speaking to a whole congregation of people, he looks at them and says, among other things, love is kind. A lot of the Corinthians' problem was that they weren't loving correctly. And Paul goes through this laundry list of things that they're struggling with. And then toward the end of his letter here in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, the answer is really love. And so you don't understand love, and so you're struggling with some of these things. And he says, well, one of the things that you need to understand about love is, is that it's, it's kind. Okay. Is that it? No. Flip over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. The Bible has an awful lot to say about kindness. Uh, we're going to dig into this word a little bit today. Uh, 
as I was preparing for this lesson, I found some things out about this word that I didn't know. Uh, and so I think this is going to be a little bit of a challenging lesson. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. Paul here says that there are some visible signs that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. God lives inside of you. And if he does live inside of you through the power of baptism, it's one of the things that happens at your baptism. You're not just saved. You're not just added to the church to that point, but the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you at that point. And so what does he look like to the world when he comes inside of you? What is there a change? And there is. Galatians 5.22 starts talking to us about that change. And he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Some of your translations may say gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. That word kindness is, is our word. The same word that Paul would use in 1 Corinthians 13 to describe what love is, he uses here as a sign that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And so what does this word mean? It's a big word, right? It's an important word. We've already figured out that it's part of God's definition for love. And so that in and of itself makes this word important for us. That in and of itself ought to make us, drive us towards figuring out what this word is. But here in Galatians 5, you learn something even deeper than that. It's a sign that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And so what does this word mean? Because there's some things that I need to be working on to make sure that this happens, right? So what does this word mean? Well, there's a couple words. In fact, two words in the New Testament for kind. Two words that are translated as kindness in the New Testament. One is agathosun, and the other was christatatis. Christatatis. You know, Greek scholars in the, in the audience today are like, oh, you said that wrong. I know. Um, and so... Crestatatis is our word that we're using here in Galatians 5 as well as in 1 Corinthians 13 for kindness. What's this other word mean, this agosun? What does that mean? Because often when you're dealing with Greek words, you can tell what one word means by the space in between the two words, if that makes sense. Because the two words obviously have different meanings. And so if the New Testament uses two words for kind, this word means one thing and this word will mean something different. And so we kind of got to figure out what's, what these words mean. To do that, let's flip over to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Starting in verse 4. Romans 2 verse 4. Paul's making an art. Let's back up. Let's start back in, in uh, let's start back in, in chapter two, verse one. Let me get, let me set the seat, uh, give, give you the context for context for what's going on uh, in this passage. Though in Romans one, Paul has been arguing with the Romans because it is obvious as you look around at creation that there is a designer. Uh, it's one of the things that we're talking about at camp this week. As you look around at the stars and as you look at the sun, as you look around at ourselves and the animals, the bugs even, especially the bugs, that there is a designer on who that is. The Bible talks about that. But you should be able to look around at creation and know that 
someone, an, uh, a higher mind, a greater intelligence, has started all these things and has designed all these things in such intricate manners that it would be impossible for them just to have happened. And so he walks through some of those, some of those thoughts, but then on toward the end of, first, uh, of Romans chapter 1, he starts talking about people who have given up these, um, this morality and, and they've sacrificed their morality so that they can kind of do whatever they want to do. And he says the natural thing, just like it's natural to be able to look up at the heavens or at an animal or an insect or yourself and think, God has designed us in a specific way, just like that's natural. He says, these people have given up natural things so that they can do what they want to do. And so God's given them up and he, he, he's, he's, he's allowed them to do these things that are against his will and against his heart. But he's allowed these things to happen. So now look in chapter 2, verse 1 of Romans. This is his argument. He says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who, pra who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness? There's our word. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness, there's, that's the same word, it's the same word, it's translated the same ways right here, crestates. Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. It's a beautiful verse, right? It's not God's severity, it's not his punishment, it's not his rebukes that lead you to repentance. That's not the argument Paul makes here. He says it's his kindness, it's his grace, it's his mercy, it's his goodness that leads you to repentance. So what does this word mean? This kindness idea. He, he, he juxtaposes this word with the severity word. Um, so follow, follow Paul's train of thought here. It's not God's severity. It's not his punishment or his discipline that brings you to repentance, but his, his kindness. And so this idea of kindness, crestates, is not rebuke. It's not punishment. It's only the the blessing, it's only the good things, it's only the grace, it's only the mercy. There's no negative side of this. You ever shown anybody tough love? If you've got kids or maybe aging parents, <laughs> you've probably shown someone tough love. If you've got a spouse, I bet you've shown someone tough love, right? So what, is, what does that mean? Like they want to do something, but it's not what's best for them. And so you say, no, you can't do that. And then they say, well, I'm going to do it anyhow. And you say, no, no you're not. <laughs> that's not how that's going to function, right? That's not how this is going to work. Uh, and you, you call them down for that. They, there's, there's a rebuke there. There's punishment there. There's discipline or correction there, right? Flip back over to Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs 27. <clears throat> certainly nothing wrong with tough love, right? The Bible talks an awful lot about tough love as well. He talks about it here in Proverbs 27, starting in verse 5. 
It says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses, are the kisses of an enemy. So have you ever been rebuked in public? Has someone ever called you down for something in, a, in front of a crowd or in front of others? There's nothing like that, is there? You're like, ooh, that hurts. But maybe you did something that was of public nature or something, or, or you did something in a crowd, and the, somebody, the one that rebuked you came to you and said, oh, you can't, you, can't, you can't act like that. You can't say these things. You can't have that thought. You can't, you can't act like this. This is unbecoming of a Christian. It's not becoming of, of God. And so they rebuked you. Public is better than hidden love, right? Even though that hurts, it's, it's for our benefit. And so that's a good thing. It's dragging us, bringing us closer to God. And it has its place, certainly, right? He goes on in Proverbs 27 and verse 6 when he says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You ever been hurt by a friend for your benefit? Well, sometimes friends hurt us, right? Because they're thoughtless or careless or things like that. Most of the time, when a friend wounds us, it can be because they've seen our life out of step with the truth of the gospel, and they're helping us. Now, does that hurt? Sometimes, yes, right? Sometimes that's a big deal. Sometimes that hurts deeply because we don't want to hear that, right? It's, it's hard to hear that. But he says here, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And so... If that friend's trying to help us, if they're bringing us closer to God, if they're showing, shedding light on something that we weren't aware of, that is out of step with Jesus' covenant, with his law, then that person is actually doing us a service, right? We should thank them for this. It's awfully hard, isn't it? That's not the kind of kindness. That's not the type of kindness that we're talking about today. It is kind, right? It's biblical to, to do those kinds of things to people. Tough love, that type of kindness, that's biblical. We should do those things. We can do those things. God wants us to do those things. He talks about that an awful lot in Scripture. But that's not the kind of kindness that we're talking about today. Remember I said there were two words for kindness in Greek. Agapisun is that type of kindness. It's, it's tough love where there's consequences for your actions. You don't, you don't get to live however you would like to live. There, there are consequences. There's discipline. There's rebuke. There's punishment. There's correction. That's the type of kindness that Agapasun would entail. It, it also is used uh, for, for blessing other people, but it, it encompasses the tough love component. The other word, the one that we're focusing on today, Christates, Christates is not that. It, it, it takes away, it excludes the punishment, the correction, the rebuke. It, it, it doesn't include any of those things. It's only the blessing part. Now, both of these words imply action. You have to do something to, make, to have this type of kindness. And so what are you doing? Well, with Agapasun, you would be walking up to the person perhaps and saying, Hey, you know I love you, right? But what you're doing is, is wrong. You, you can't continue living like this. It's going to hurt you in the long run. Is that kindness? Yes, absolutely, right? We understand that. 
There's also a component of kindness that we're talking about today where the Greek New Testament talks about it as prestates. And so you're, you're blessing people who are hurtful, who are wrong, who throw God's salvation and his mercy and his grace back in his face. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 2. Flip, flip back over there to Romans 2 and look at it again. In verse 3, he says, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself? He's, he's speaking to hypocrites, people who intentionally uh, deride someone else for a sin that they're involved with themselves. He says, Do you, do you think that you're going to escape the judgment of God? Are you, do you presume on the riches of his kindness? He says, You're taking advantage of God's prestates, his. His, his blessings that don't come with rebuke, that don't come with discipline, they don't come with consequences. You presumed on that, and it's not going to last forever. Your presumption will one day be shown out, right? Remember what he says in Romans 12, that uh, you shouldn't take vengeance, but what? Leave it to the Lord. He's going to be the one who takes vengeance on people who have hurt his cause, who have hurt his people, who have derided his name, who have taken away from him. Those who have hurt the church and him and, and, and his, his name, his goodness, he's going to be the one that takes vengeance on them. He says, you, you don't have to worry about that. I'm going to take care of that. In Galatians 6, right after he starts talking about the fruits of the Spirit, uh, he's going to say that God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you're also going to reap, right? So if you sow hatred, if you sow pain, if you sow uh, dislike of God, if you sow that his principles are not what you're going to live by, if you sow disunity, all these kinds of things, then what are you going to reap? There's going to be consequences for that, right? Today we're not talking about that type of kindness because I don't think that that type of kindness is what our world needs right now. There's components of that, right? We certainly said that this open rebuke, this agathosun type of kindness is necessary, but we get that. We don't struggle to do that on the whole, right? If you see someone whose life is out of step with the gospel, if they see someone who is living in sin, we understand that we need to intercede on their behalf because what we're doing is kind to them. It may hurt them, right? Remember Proverbs 27? Faithful are the winds, wounds of a friend. You may hurt them, but in the long run, you're snatching them from the fire, as James would say. So overall, I think that that's a necessary component, obviously, of kindness. But you also have to deal with this word, prestates. What are you going to do with this word? Because this word indicates to us that there is no negative consequences in this kindness. There's no rebuke. There's no discipline. There's no correction involved in this kindness. Um, when I ran across this word, I thought, I'm familiar with the open rebuke part. I'm familiar with the, with the kindness where you show people kindness uh, for, their, for their good. Sometimes we have to wound people. Sometimes we have to hurt them to help them, right? We're familiar with that, and, and I was familiar with that. 
Um, but you, you run into a problem when you see this word Christophes. What does it mean? And so I started walking through what this word might mean. And I started checking out these Greek scholars who know this word. Um, I'm not proficient in Greek. I don't claim to be proficient in Greek, but there are resources and people who are. And here's what they say. This guy's name is R.C. Trench, um, and he agrees with a guy named Jerome who lived in the 4th century. They said that Jesus' uh, cleansing of the temple and his denouncing of the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 21 are examples of Jesus' showing Agatha soon, the kindness that has consequences, the kindness that has a rebuke. He's showing them tough love. This word doesn't necessitate tough love, but it does include it. But our word is something different. It's, it's only the positive. It's only the blessing component of kindness. Let me give you an example of when Jesus did this. Flip back over to Luke chapter 7. This is where uh, Alan read for us this morning. Luke chapter 7. This woman comes into um, Simon, the, Simon the Pharisee's house. And she bends down and starts weeping on Jesus' feet. It was common custom in Simon and Jesus' day for a host to anoint, or at least have anointed, the, um, his visitors' feet. And they were supposed to wash their feet. It's a common custom. Simon doesn't do that when Jesus walks in. So this woman comes over, and she, she starts her tears. Why is she crying, first of all? Because she's met this incredible rabbi who, maybe she thinks he's the Christ. We're not let in on all this stuff, but we are let in on she thinks he's something special or she wouldn't be here. And so Simon has neglected this important part of being a host. And so this woman comes in and she starts washing Jesus' dirty feet with her tears, right? And then his feet are wet. So now what does he do? Well, Simon would have gotten a, a towel of some sort and washed Jesus' feet. But she doesn't have a towel. She only has her hair. So she starts drying his hair or drying his feet with her hair. And she anoints them with, with perfume. It was common custom for Simon. What he should have done was anoint Jesus' head with oil. It was a way of showing honor to him. The, the washing of the feet was just common courtesy. If you did that, if someone walked into your house, you would have done that no matter who they were. Simon doesn't do that for whatever reason here. It's probably this animosity, animosity between Jesus and the Pharisees. Um, but for whatever reason, he doesn't do that. He doesn't even honor Jesus, although he thinks he's a good teacher with this oil. But this woman does that. Did you hear what this woman, while she was there, Simon knows who this woman is. He knows that she's a, a sinner, apparently a flagrant enough sinner that this Pharisee is aware of her lifestyle. And so he says, well, Jesus, if he knew who this woman was, he wouldn't allow her to touch him, right? Not only does he allow her to touch him, he allows her to honor him. And he forgives her sins. And he says that she's doing better than Simon the Pharisee is. What's interesting here is there were no negative consequences toward her. Jesus didn't tell her, don't sin anymore. Listen, these, these particular sins that you're involved in, this needs to stop. He only blessed her. 
so interesting, right? We see him do this a couple other times throughout his life. We obviously see him holding people accountable, right? We see the Agostun, the tough love coming out of Jesus. But we also see this idea of Christates, this, this idea of no negative consequences, just, just blessing. And like I said, we need both of these. Both of these are important components to kindness. Our world needs both of them, but we are strong, I think, on the open rebuke. We're strong on the tough love. I think one of the things that we may be missing is this idea of just loving, just blessing, just being kind without punishment, without correction, without trying to prove a point, just being kind. I think that solves a lot of our problems. Um, I think that's why there's two words in Greek for kindness because this is two sides of the same coin. Is there a time for tough love? 100%. Obviously, there's, there's time for that, right? There's a time for that. Is there a time for, for Christodis type of love? Yes, there is, right? Or he wouldn't have mentioned it. Jesus wouldn't have done that had there not been an opportunity, a, a driving force behind him using this type of kindness, this type of kindness that doesn't have any kind of strings attached. He's not trying to teach a lesson. He's not coercing them into repentance. He's simply blessing them. Does he accept them? No. He indicates that this woman's life was not in step, that she was wrong, right, by forgiving her sins. He admitted that she was wrong. So I'm not saying accept people. I'm saying see them where they are and love them anyhow, right, and be kind to them anyhow. This is something I need to work on just as much as that's why I'm teaching this lesson. That's why I started searching this thing out because in my own life I saw some things, especially in our, in our current uh, atmosphere, our current culture, where you're like, oh, I, I really I want to make a poster. I want to make this comment, and I'm doing it to teach you a lesson, to, 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 to drag you closer to God because God's done something amazing, and I want you to see it, and, and you're just not going to see it otherwise. I think maybe a component here that we need to remember is Christotis. It's this idea of being kind without strings attached, without trying to teach a lesson, without, without trying to correct, but to, just to be kind. Remember that Jesus' disciples, he said, would be shown by their love. This is one of the things that we are known by this idea of loving when no one else loves loving radically radical kindness that's what opens people's eyes to his glory and that's when we can come in with the agathosun love the tough love the tough kindness but it's how did paul put in romans 2 his kindness that brings people to repentance and this is the word he uses for kindness is crestatis, this kindness that doesn't have strings attached, the kindness that doesn't have correction or rebuke in mind. It's just kindness. That's what brings people to them. That's what the Holy Spirit says in Romans 2, verse 4. So this morning, maybe you don't know God's kindness. Maybe you haven't seen it. Maybe your eyes are still a little unaware of what's going on. We'd love to sit down with you and study the Bible with you and, and walk through these things. We'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you about your faith and, and what's going on in, in your life 
maybe you're ready to be baptized, you have to, to have your sins washed away, to become one with Him, right? To be unified with God, to have your sins washed away and become a member of this congregation. Maybe you've already made that decision and you just need the prayers uh, of, of this church to be who God would have you to be. If you have any need today, won't you come as we stand and sing? The great physician now is here, the sinner We have the Children's Bible, our kids joining us today for announcements. Uh, got a few announcements. Fort Hill Camp starts today. Uh, I know that most of us have already headed up there, I guess, yesterday. But for the few of us that are still heading up today, let's go have fun. Um, July the 13th, that's a Wednesday. After service, the, uh, the teen group, the youth group, will head in the bus and go to Cerrito to Austin's Ice Cream. Then on Friday, June the 15th, uh, July the 15th, we'll have a family game night here at the building. And I don't know what time that starts at, but it is on our Facebook page. We have all of our events and the times that those start at. Um, let's see, July the 17th through the 20th, that's next, next Sunday, uh, we will have, I think that's next Sunday, Sunday after next. Next Sunday is we all get back from camp, that's it. Sunday after next, uh, after morning service, we'll have our youth group and anybody else who goes with us, we will head to Waverly, Tennessee, and we will get back. Wednesday before service for our disaster relief trip. And if you have any questions about that, you can see me or Mr. Chris for any details. Um, we have the father-son camp out at the Leaps Cabin Friday, July 29th. And if you're interested in going on a mission trip to Peru, June 13th through the 22nd next year, 2023, uh, talk to Mr. Chris. He's wanting to 
uh, spread as much information about that as you can. Uh, the, third day, the Thursday ladies class is canceled for the month of July and there's still the birthday card from Miss Babe Jones on the foyer for everybody to sign. On our prayer list we have Miss Lisa Baisden, Jim Haney, Sandy Galloway, Jennifer Baker, Janie and Glenn Judge, Vicki Bowen, and uh, the family of Tommy Blankenship, her husband Todd Blankenship, uh, passed away in an accident. See, we, uh, do we have another song? Okay, we'll have a song and then our closing prayer. Let's please stand again and sing number 216, He Leadeth Me. Sing the first and the third verse, and then Brother Drew Clark will have a prayer. <clears throat> He leadeth me We thank you for our country that we celebrate tomorrow and this weekend, Lord. We thank you for the freedom that we have. We thank you for the ability to uh, worship you, and we pray that we have done so today uh, in truth and in spirit, Lord. Lord, we pray that you'll be with those who are hurting, be with those who are sick, and we pray that you will be with all those who are traveling, be with the the folks who will be at camp this week, keep them safe, and Lord, we pray that you will bless them and watch over them. Go with us now as we continue through the summer and keep us uh, safe as we travel to and fro, and we pray that you will um, be with those who could not be here today and watch over them and forgive us when we do wrong, and it's through Jesus we pray. Amen. <clears throat>